Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. Today I'm going to wrap up. It's actually called part four um, of End Times outside the book of Revelation. But it really is a, a summation both of this series and of the series before about living a life like Christ. I'm going to tie them together because they're, they're intertwined so powerfully uh, that you can't separate them. And uh, I want us to know the heartbeat of God. I want us to live in a way that honours God with everything we say and everything we do. So I'm going to try and condense it uh, as good as I can in this short period of time. I've got about half an hour max and then we've got a water baptism. So let's get into it. Um, both these two series have revolved around... As David mentioned, I'm very good, David, wherever you've gone, uh, down there. Uh, it is very simple, the gospel. In fact, the Bible's very simple. There are parts that, that, that we might struggle with, uh, and uh, the churches work together quite well, but we have slightly different aspects of doctrine. They're not fighting points, they're differences, diversity, and still unity. So we've got Bethlehem Live coming up. I still need some volunteers and things like that. So if you want to help with that, that'd be great. But the church can work together. You know, the Bible only has four, four key themes, just four. Uh, and firstly, there's God, and God is love, and he is just. Secondly, mankind, mankind by nature are sinners, and that sin has consequences. Thirdly, Jesus, who is God, came in the flesh and died for our sins and was raised for our redemption and we're redeemed by justification through the death of Jesus. Fourthly, a sinful person is made right with a just and loving God by faith working through love, which was expressed primarily in the finished work of Christ on the cross. So the four themes of Scripture are God, man, Christ and faith. And everything essentially revolves around those four themes. So our first series was really about God and Christ and how we should live. Uh, and the second series, End Times and Revelation, uh, we're, we're looking at, at that price and, and how we handle the journey. So God and Christ are dealt with and mankind and our, and our sinful condition and its redemption have been part of this End Times series. So I, I want to jump in and understand that when I, when I preach... There are different focus I have, focuses I have. One is today is to challenge us as Christians to guard our hearts properly. To guard our hearts. Because it's so easy to fall into natural ways of thinking, which David actually suggested that sometimes we, we think naturally. Uh, we think about this, 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 you need to do good, you need to keep doing it to be a good person. And we can get in the natural thinking so easily because we live in the midst of that culture. So I want us to guard our hearts. And so what I'm going to share today is about guarding our hearts in relationship to our lives, about the character of Christ, and about being ready for eternity. Now, the New Testament primarily is written to Christians. They're letters to the church and churches. They are not letters to sinners. So when I preach... Sometimes it might seem like I'm being harder on Christians than I am on sinners. Can I just say the New Testament is harder on, on Christians than it is on sinners. It challenges us to how we live. It challenges us to our conduct. 
It, it just states a statement but, uh, about the world and sinners. And, but it says this, God's desire is that they would all come to repentance. It's that God's goodness would draw them to repentance. It's about us living in a way that reflects Christ that would draw them to repentance. So everything about that is that to the sinner, the gospel needs to be what it is, good news. To the Christian, it's a challenge to live in such a way that our life actually proclaims good news. So the New Testament primarily, especially from Acts to Revelation, is written to the church. Because the truth is the world will not change if we don't lead the change by love and by faith and by mercy. Even the the Old Testament writer of Chronicles understood that change is not about us trying to change sinners. Change comes by us changing. Let me read it to you in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. There is no mention of the behaviour of the sinners to bring about a redemptive change to their world. The challenge is always to the believer. It's about our behaviour, not about someone else's behaviour. How should we live? How should we behave? Or more personally, we need to say to ourselves, how should I live or how should I behave? The challenge is that we have to look at that. And so my first series was about the love of God and his mercy and his grace, his forgiveness, his restoration, his acceptance and our discipline to live that kind of life. And so it's a challenge for us to keep that same kind of Christ-like attitude toward us and then toward others. See, there is no way we can condone wrong behaviour But we are called to be gracious in how we treat all people. The old cliche which we say but so often don't live is hate the sin but love the sinner. See, a lot of religious people get so caught up in hating sin and they might say they love the sinner, but they don't, not in the way they live. And trouble is it applies not only outside, it applies to people in the church who are struggling to walk the faith even as believers. See, there's only... Two specific examples in the Bible, the New Testament, about in-church discipline of people's lives. There's lots of references to it, but in all but two, the discipline is left up to God. The only two examples in Scripture, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthian church about a man who's in the church confessing and saying he's a Christian, who's having an openly... A productive public relationship with his stepmom. And he's walking through the church with no sense of guilt or shame and no sense of repentance. And Paul says, You need to put that guy out of the church. But later on in 2 Corinthians, we find that the man has become repentant and the church is still refusing to have him come back in. But Paul writes to us and says, hey guys, if he's repentant, have him back in. Make him welcome, open the doors, bring the prodigal home. And the, the other one, which some people don't like, is when a minister, a preacher of the word, an elder, no, is willfully and unrepentantly sinning. 
And it's not just anybody, it's a minister in the Scripture. Someone who's recognised as a spiritual Bible leader and they should be corrected publicly by the spiritual leadership of the church. And even that is tempered in Revelation where it says God gave Jezebel a season to repent. So even in that, it's still, uh, look, it's, a, it's not about the sin that's being committed. It's about the unrepentant heart that's the problem. And so Jesus gives us some ways to deal with how it is when people are sinning. Let me read it to you. Matthew 8, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. So here's the issue. Firstly, it's if it is personally against you, you are now involved in this situation. You are part of the problem and you are part of the solution. If you're not part of the problem or part of the solution, it's not your business. We, we often say it like this. Don't stick your nose in where it doesn't belong. So if you're not part of the problem or part of the solution, stay out of it. Stay out of it. It's got nothing to do with you. So don't get involved. See, what happens is when we get involved in something we have no business being involved in, we start to judge it by our natural man. We fall back into the trap of the carnal and we haven't got the grace of God and the Holy Spirit to handle it as we ought. The Bible then says when we try and get involved when we shouldn't, it becomes our own self-righteousness, which according to God we saw last week was like filthy rags. They're like the Laodicean church in Revelation 3 who thought sincerely that they were righteous but were just plain self-righteous. Romans 2 says this, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whatever, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you, you who judge practice the same things. Now I can straight away hear self-righteous people going, well, I don't do that. Well, we actually have to clarify that by reading into the Scriptures properly. You know, there may be no question that the person's behaviour is breaking the Bible law. They may do, you may not be doing exactly the same thing, but your sin might be self-righteousness or pride or lies or gossip or truth with a wrong heart because truth without love is sin anyway. It might be sowing discord in the church or gossip or resisting godly authority. In fact, if you want to rate sins, and I generally don't because the Bible doesn't, then Proverbs is a good place to go. See, it tells me in Proverbs that the conduct that is most abhorrent to God is not wrong sexual conduct, but divisive conduct in the church. Well, people go, what about Romans 1? Well, you want to bring in homosexuality? Fine. It's the same equivalent Greek word that Proverbs uses that God abhors the, the, this, this same kind of word and it puts them on the same level. A divisive person and a person who's in a homosexual lifestyle. Now, please, they're people God loves regardless. 
And the grace of God is that he wants them to come to repentance and know his love and know the love that God has for them. And, and it's not our job to condemn. Our job is to live in such a way that they see Christ in us and find love that's better than that. So when we look into the fullness of Scripture, we see there isn't a rank of sin. Paul talks about no division in the church. The psalmist says God's blessing is waiting to be received when people come to unity. So disunity robs the believers in the group or the church of the blessing of unity. So when there's a disunity and a person's in that disunity, they're robbing others. Just like the Pharisees, they, they wouldn't go in They didn't want to enter in, but they hindered others from entering into the goodness and the kindness of God. And Jesus confronted that attitude in people's minds. People who thought their sins weren't as bad as someone else's and rated someone else's worse and tried to justify themselves because they thought that kind of sin was worse. Now, I know people get upset with that, but let me read it to you in Proverbs chapter 6. I'll start with the King James Version for those who, who like that kind of thing. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. That's the same kind of word that Paul uses in uh, Romans 1. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speak lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. Uh, The DRA version says this, Six things there are which the Lord hates, the word abhors. The seventh, his soul detests. So what what it is, is, the picture is this. The writer starts writing down and he goes, these are things that God really doesn't like. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh no, here's something that's even worse than all of those. One, he says discord among the brethren. That, that, that's, that's pretty big because, you know, the, the, the religious church tends to want to rate sins like we, we rate these sins worse than those sins. And, and you go, hang on, hang on. We, we think gossip is not big. Well, gossip ties up with this. See, we, we have this, because we rate sin, we self-righteously relieve ourselves from the guilt. We say, that person's worse than me. no. The sin of gossip, the sin of self-righteousness is just as bad. The sin of sowing discord in the brethren. You know, the the Living Bible gives a list of these. And it says haughtiness, which is an attitude of superiority and arrogance and unteachableness. Isn't that scary? And can I just say quietly, including myself, Haven't we, the church and Christians, been guilty of that over the years and centuries and millennia since Jesus? We think we're better. The saying is so true, but for the grace of God, I would be no better. See, we we read about Israel and we think we wouldn't do that. We read about the disciples betraying Jesus. Oh, we wouldn't do it. Yes, we would. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be true. Let's have a sense of integrity. And so, God, I struggle with this sense of being, have a sense of superiority. God, I want to always remain teachable. Then he says lying right next to murdering. How many of us would rate lying and murdering next to each other? Come on. 
See, see, we want a plotting evil, eagerness to do wrong, a false witness. And finally, the seventh, the one who sows discord among the brethren. And notice the, the writer of Proverbs, there's not one sexual sin even mentioned here. Not one sin that's got to do with sex is mentioned in things God hates. But boy, don't we rate it worse than every other sin in this very quiet Presbyterian church. So so I want to wrap this up because I want to make sure we guard our hearts from these things that sneak in, like little foxes that spoil the vine. They they just, I don't know if you know these foxes, little foxes, I think they're grey foxes that sneak in, they bite the bottom of of the grape bunch just to get the moisture out of it. And then that would, they would go to the next bunch and the next bunch to get their fluid and that would start the rotting process. It would just go through the whole bunch and they would spoil the whole crop by these little bites, a little bite here and there, a little bicker, a little discord, a little sharing. Oh, I just want to share with you, brother, so you could pray. No, that's gossip. Yeah. This is about guarding our hearts, church. And when we talk about that, when Paul does talk about sin, sexual sin, he says the big problem is not that you're sinning, it's that you're hurting yourself in the sin. That's how Paul, that's why Paul says it's a problem when he does talk about sexual sins. You hurt yourself. What's good is God forgives. When we repent, he restores. When we repent, we may still have consequences, but God's mercy and grace abound. And he calls the prodigals back into his family. And just like the man in Corinthians, Paul says, bring them back in. Let them come home to the house of God. Let them come home to the family of God. And if it wasn't you, especially sexual sin, if it wasn't you, stay out of it. See, we're supposed to have a non-involvement if it's not against us personally or not in our area of responsibility. There's a great problem in Christianity when people read the Bible for how it relates to others. Now, let, let me ask a question and, and I can, I'm, I'm not going to even ask you to put your hands up because you would probably all be ashamed. But how often have you sat in a message You've heard the preacher preach and inside your brain you go, oh, that'd be good for so-and-so. By the laughter, by the laughter, I can tell we all have that kind of thought. Can we just pause that and go, God, what about me? Not in the sense of, what about me? It isn't fair. No, it's not fair how you look about others instead of look at how it's about you. God, I want to hear what you're saying to me. You'll speak to me personally and I need to hear the word. And the moment I think it's for someone else, the reason I think it's for someone else is because there's a problem in my life in that area with self-righteousness. I need to deal with it. I need to guard my heart. I need to walk in a humility and a teachableness. Saints who read on how the word focuses to others have missed the whole point. They read it, especially for sinners, but even people who fall and fail in the church. And, and then they speak condemnation and hellfire and damnation and judging them. And, and they don't look at how Jesus says and shows we should behave towards sinners, both within and without the church. See, we complain when the world unfairly judges us, but sometimes I think we unfairly judge the world. Can I just say, you know why people are called sinners? 
You know why a person's called a robber? Because he robs. Why do you think sinners are called sinners? Because they sin. What do you expect a sinner to do? How can we expect a sinner not to sin if he hasn't been born by the Spirit of God? How do we expect that they can know Jesus and be free if they're sinners? We should show them what it's like to have a God who loves them, a God who cares about them, a God who will forgive them, a God whose goal is to redeem and rescue and to restore and not be religious and judge them. Sin is sin. It's God's goodness and kindness through us, not our judgment of them that wins them to Him. How do we treat one another? If we sow discord in the church, you know, you get together with your own little group in the church and discuss how you disagree with the pastor on your pet dogmas. You will if you get called out on it, but you avoid it. Just get together with a little group and you sow discord. You sow your doctrine. You think you're mature, but listen to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but to carnal as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you're not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you're still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Not mere cats, mere men. Now I know some will hear that and repent. Others will hear it and won't repent because thinking they're mature, they express their immaturity. Because they're not teachable. I, I saw a poster in a doctor's surgery once, and, and it said something like this Your Google search doesn't equate to my six years of training and, te- and years of experience. Can I just say, from a spiritual sense, and, and please, I'm still learning. I am still teachable. There are things in my life and, and thoughts and principles that are growing and changing and developing in my faith. So I'm still learning. But can I say, um, my eight years service as a member of a church, my six years of training, my 12 years of internship, my 26 years of experience does equate to some level of biblical understanding and spiritual discernment that probably is a little bit better than almost any Google search, YouTube preacher you've heard or gossip you could go around with. I'm not saying I'm perfect, please. God, as you've heard me, if you don't agree with me, I'm happy to sit down and talk with you because I could be wrong. But please come with the attitude that you could too. On top of that, Jesus told us how to evaluate. By their fruits, you will know them. Well, we baptized a number of people a month or so ago. We're going to baptize more people today. People have been getting saved and giving their life to Jesus. People have been filled with the Holy Spirit. People have been healed. We've had some miracles in the house. And I'm not saying signs prove anything, but the fruit is there. Just like Josh and Danielle's, the fruit of their lives is evident in the peace in their children. The fruit of this church tells me this is a good church. Not that I'm good, but this is a good church. You guys are amazing. Now, we all still need to grow. We all still need to guard our hearts. We all still need to do do the right things, not to be right with God, but because we are right with God. Now, this is where the problem becomes greater because James says this, In 2.10, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful, for mercy triumphs over judgment. And that takes us all the way back to the verse when we said, we judge people because their sins are worse than ours. And we do the same things. We might not do the exact same sin, but James tells me 
unless I'm perfect, I'm doing the same sin. Not identical in its behaviour, but I'm still sinning. Still the same. So unless we're perfect, we had best be very careful in judging others. Even if what they are doing is clearly wrong. But even more so if it's unclear. And I confess, according to James, in that verse, I'm a lawbreaker. I confess I'm a lawbreaker, but I am so glad that I have a God I can run to and repent. And he promises that if I will turn to him, he will forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. See, I don't have to be perfect. I just have to live in faith. Do what I can, but live in faith, knowing the goodness of God. Jesus talks to his disciples about this attitude. In Luke 17, he says, he said to his disciples, if he's talking to his disciples, that's the disciplined learner followers of Jesus. If we call ourselves Christian, then this is talking to us. It is impossible that no offences should come. So is anyone here been in this church more than a couple of hours, um, maybe even less than that, and you've never been offended in this church? Come on, let's be real. All right, offences come. But he says this in verse 3, take heed to yourselves or guard your hearts. In what area is he talking about we need to take heed and guard? Listen, if your brother sins against you, it's about inter-church relationship. It's about this principle of discipline and discipleship. It's about, it's about um, being offended by a brother's behaviour or a sister's behaviour. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Yes. Is that just overloading, is it? <laughs> I'm just shouting too loud. I'm excited about it. Yes. And we go, well, I can forgive him. Keep going. If he sins against you seven times in a day, that means he does the same thing again and again and again and again. The same day. Forgive him. Once. Twice. Another passage says 70 times 7 or 70 plus 7, depending on how you read it. So he calls us to be merciful and willing to forgive at all times. When people offend us, hurt us, sin against us, and they even keep doing it again and again. Now, I'm not saying trust them, but I'm saying forgive them. I'm not saying hang out with them, but I am saying forgive them. I'm not saying open the doors and let the abuse continue to happen, but I am saying forgive them. Time and time again. See, what they need is our forgiveness not our judgment or our punishment. They need our forgiveness if they're going to be set free. And again, if it's not against you personally, don't get involved. Now, I understand the scripture tells us we need to put off the old, put off those things, the adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, notice, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. These people won't inherit the kinghood of God. Galatians 5:19 to 21. We need to put those things off. 
We shouldn't have them in our life. We may be battling to get out of them. We may be battling to be set free, but we need to put them off. And included in that, in that, it says dissensions. So including our superiority sense or our self-righteousness and the way we judge others. Put those things off. They're carnal. They're of the flesh. And we've got to put on the righteousness of Christ. Put on Jesus Christ, it says. And we'll get the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, godliness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, that fruit develops in our lives when we put off that stuff that would hold us back. We put off that criticalness. We put off that judgmentalism. Don't don't rate the sins because even there in the works of the flesh, it gives a whole list of things as small as lying, divisionary mindsets. And put on Jesus. I love the musicians, singers to come. Why am I teaching and preaching on this? Well, Jesus said it this way. Put, on, put off the old ways of living and take on my ways. Learn of me. Learn to live the way he wants us to live. Learn to live with the kindness Jesus showed to the sinner. The forgiveness that was freely available and often to people before they had repented and be obedient to the will of God. Demonstrating Jesus as the Lord of our life by our words, actions and attitudes. The Revelation says this, Let's be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife, the bride, the church, has made herself ready. She's put on the righteousness of Christ. Not not her own righteousness, not self-righteousness, but acts that flow out of love, acts that flow out of mercy, acts that flow out of the Spirit of God. Acts that flow out of Christ being in us and the character of Christ. Paul tells the Thessalonian church, this is his prayer, that the Lord may increase, Thessalonians 3, 1 Thessalonians 3.12, and the Lord may increase, make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. Church, the more we learn to love each other, the more we learn to forgive each other, the more we learn to be kind to sinners. We're not condoning sin, but we're being kind to people, showing the kindness and goodness of God. The more we do that, that He can establish. Let me, it goes on. So that He, that's God, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. When? At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So growing in love for God, love of God, And toward each other and the lost is what prepares us for the end times, prepares us for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Part of that also means we know the love of God, but we don't reject the truth that sin always has a consequence. Sin always has a consequence. We do not condone it. We want people free from sin. We read it last week, Galatians 6, 7. Don't be, God's not mocked. Don't be deceived. Whatever we sow, we reap. And our first point was God is loving because he is love and God is just. God cannot be unjust towards sin that is unrepented. But he wants to forgive. He wants to restore. He wants to make whole. 
And that ought to be our heartbeat, church. To love the lost. To care about people. To pray for them. And to not live judgmental, but to live mercifully. Lord, whatever we do, we pray we do it with all our heart. That we would show the world the love of God. That we would, as the Scripture says, we would diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ to God in our world. We'd not live with a religious self-righteousness, but a, a gracious, merciful heart of God. Not condoning sin, but definitely, definitely loving the sinner. They might see the love we have one to another. They might see the kindness of God. They might find that that God does care, that God does love them, that God has a better future for them. But they do need to turn. Turn from their sin and turn and serve a living God. Living and walking in love, demonstrating the heartbeat of the Messiah, Jesus Christ our Lord to a hurting world. Lord, that we would be showing the goodness of God and guarding our own hearts. Lord, we want to live in a way that reflects Christ to a hurting, broken world. We might be healing, making people whole, setting captives free, visiting the hurting and broken, bringing good news to the poor in Jesus' mighty name mighty name. Amen. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord, the message primarily today has been to Christians. And the reason it's to Christians is that we need to behave in a way that shows you Jesus. And can I just say, most of the people in this church, I mean, from my heart, I think people love people. I think we do. But I'm unafraid to speak the truth in a heartbeat of loving you and loving the lost. If you don't know Jesus, he loves you passionately. He hung on a cross and even prayed a prayer to those who were killing him. Father, forgive them. He wasn't judging. He wasn't condemning. See, the reality is this. What you sow, you're going to reap. I don't need to worry about that. I'm going to try and rescue you from the harvest that you would have if you didn't know Jesus. The message we bring is to rescue you from the consequences or some people call punishment that will come upon you if you leave this life without knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. I would normally ask people to raise their hands and come to the altar. But today I'm going to pray right where you are. If you want to receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour, I'm going to ask you a couple of things to pray quietly as I pray this prayer. But please, please come and tell one of us. Go to the information desk. Come talk to any of the team here. Say, look, I gave my heart to Jesus today. We want to give you a Bible, give you some material, help you get connected to the house of God and the family of God, to know how good God is. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for accepting me in your family. Help me to put off the old ways and 
put on the ways of Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name.